0: We're starting Swift on Friday, and um, what basically the Swift that you should read is there's some repetition here, but the but the Swift in the um, Martin Price Oxford anthology and also the Swift in the um, Antholo- the Lonsdale the anthology of eighteenth century verse. Uh, there's some overlap. There's also going to be one more poem on Latte called the Lady's Dressing Room, which I have a copy for you, George. Um, and everyone else you can uh, get that from Latte. And so today we'll finish, assuming that smart to bring it. Yes, we'll finish talking about Rochester. Um, what? Oh I
1: just unlocked
0: this <sighs> Okay. Uh, so we were in we were getting towards the end of the satire against reason and mankind. Uh, you may remember. Uh, and we could, um, I think we don't have to uh, go through it line by line anymore um, because there, there's a whole lot of other um, kinds of poems that Rochester wrote that we should talk about. Um, but uh, where we were was um, around line um, 140 or so, um, Where we looked at, um, we were looking at how birds feed on birds and um, beasts on beasts. This is at line um, uh, 129. Birds feed on birds, beasts on each other prey, but savage man alone does man betray. Um, So there's something, what Rochester is um, saying here is that there's something um, that goes beyond violence in the idea of betrayal that uh, there's also hypocrisy. There's violence, which, which doesn't seem necessary, can't be anticipated, um, and comes out of the betrayal of trust. So humans, this is goes back to the beginning of the poem and the idea that he would be any animal except that vain creature who's so proud of being rational. Um, because man, this is now at line 127, um, man with smiles, embraces, friendship, praise, inhumanly his fellow's life betrays. Um, so there's that idea of betrayal again. Um, and the wonderful paradox that, that it's man who is inhuman, um, that it's human beings who are characterized by being inhuman, by not being what we appear. Um, other creatures are violent, but we're the only ones who are violent and hide the fact Um, with voluntary pains not necessity, we talked about that on Friday with voluntary pains works his distress that is his fellow's life and the distress of his fellow not through necessity but wantonness um, just does it Um, and then he goes on to explain why this might be and um, his general explanation is that fear is our greatest motivation. So did you guys read um, The Very Short Life of Rochester, which, like all the lives of the poets, will be on your final exam, which I just scheduled on latte, on sage, rather? Um, So did you read The Short Life of Rochester? Um, So one of the things that Johnson uh, quotes it's it's always interesting to read Johnson because he's a very strong moralist with very strong ideas, but he's also um, attracted in spite of himself to the things that he castigates. Um, that's a standard um, and major fact about Johnson. Johnson is often and probably rightly described as the greatest critic who ever lived. Um, doesn't mean he's right about stuff, but it does mean that um, when he's wrong, even when he's wrong, the ways he's wrong are always interesting. Um, so do you remember the bon mot that um, he ascribes with some, the proverb, um, or the the um, ironic proverb that he, he ascribes with some asperity to Rochester? You could just say yes, and then I would say good, and then I would tell you what it is. So do you remember it? Oh, really? And what is it? (laughs) Um, The line is, it's it's a great, it's a sort of proto-Wildian paradoxical line. Every man would be a coward if he durst. Um, That is, um, if you had the guts, you would be a coward. Um, People are only brave because they're too cowardly to be seen to be cowards. So every man would be a coward if he durst. Every man would be a coward if he dared to be. Um, that, in a way, is, is the, the one-line version of what Rochester is about to say um, up until the recantation, the quote, recantation, unquote, at the end of this poem. That fear is what drives everything um, in human beings. That everything human beings do, they do out of fear. Sounds um, like Hamlet. Sorry? Sounds like Hamlet. Sounds like Hamlet, yeah. Um, <laughs> That at least is Hamlet describing himself, but also, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's um, an odd kind of misanthropy and typical of Rochester's misanthropy because he's um, like Swift, who we're reading next. Um, he is both tender and vicious towards the same people. Um, that is, humans treat each other badly. And you could say, well, that's OK then, because if humans treat each other badly, they deserve to be badly treated. Um, but that's not Rochester's view. It's that humans treat each other badly, and that's a bad thing rather than a good thing. Um, you see how it can cancel out, right? That is, if you say, look, it's a, you know, it's a rat race, and rats are really vicious to each other, um, you can say, that's fine. Uh, that sh- that's-, that's good that rats are vicious to each other. Um, But somehow, he's not prepared to say the same thing about humans. Humans treat each other badly, and that's a bad thing, not a good thing. Um, Because no one deserves to be as badly treated as we treat each other. It's not, it doesn't balance out. It doesn't cancel itself out. And the name for the way that it doesn't cancel itself out is fear, that is that um, if the experience of fear is universal, and that's what Hobbes has said also, if the experience of fear is universal, then the way people treat each other always comes out of our fear of each other, which then justifies that fear. Um, we're all afraid of each other, and therefore we all treat each other badly, which then um, the way p- other people treat us justifies our sense. Um, that, that um, our fear is fear of something real. And um, so everything in Rochester here, as in Hobbes, is self-defense. Um, it's also going to be what Darwin says. Um, that is, it's a struggle to survive. And um, all behavior is behavior which is um, in competition. To survive with other beings who are trying to survive. So that's not, it's not so much misanthropic anymore, although Rochester gives it a huge misanthropic twist. Um, so will Swift, as you'll see. Um, it's not misanthropic anymore so much, or if it's misanthropic, it's also verging, it's a pessimism verging on tragedy that that's what human life is like. So um, for animals, For hunger or for love they fight and tear, whilst wretched man is still in arms for fear. So we don't act for hunger or for love, we act for fear. For fear he arms, and is of arms afraid. So that would be um, the poem's uh, summary of what I've just said. For fear he arms, and is of arms afraid. By fear, to fear, successively betrayed. That is, we feel fear and we therefore are betrayed to the fear that others others feel for us and therefore treat us violently. Base fear, the source, whence his best passions came, his boasted honor and his dear bought fame. So even the best things that humans do, honor and fame, um, courage in battle, all of these things come out of fear. Um, that's the poem that Johnson quotes, that people would run away from battles if they weren't afraid of looking like cowards. So they're too cowardly to um, be willing to look like a coward. If people weren't too cowardly to, be, to look like cowards, no one would fight. Who, would, who could possibly get into um, a battle if, if, um, um, if they didn't mind looking like cowards, and then no one would fight and we would have, fe- we would have peace. So mutual fear in a sense should bring peace, as you'll see Blake will say that um, in 100 years, in 120 years, um, that mutual fear brings peace. Blake doesn't say that's a good thing, but he does say it. Uh, mutual fear should bring peace, but we're so strangely constructed that we fear to show that we're fearful lest that open us up to, um, to destruction and to attack. Um, And it's that fear of looking fearful which really makes things bad for human beings. That's a pretty sharp um, insight into human behavior that honor and fame, lust of power to which he's such a slave. Look at all the paradoxes that Rochester likes here. That we are all slaves to our lust for power. Um, We want power so that we're in a position not to be afraid. And we are therefore a slave to our desire for power. Um, Power itself enslaves. If you've um, taken, if you've read Hegel, you will know the master-slave dialectic, which here you get in a line. um, That you become enslaved by your own mastery or your desire for mastery. Lust for the lust of power to which he's such a slave And for the which alone, he dares be brave. That's the only reason anyone would be brave, is to get the power to which we're enslaved. To which his various projects are designed, which makes him generous, affable, and kind. All of that is hypocritical, says Rochester, when we seem generous and affable and kind. Or he would go farther when we are generous and affable and kind. Um, those genuine human emotions are actually outcroppings of fear, fear of what, we would, what would happen to us if we weren't those things. There's no other generosity or affability or kindness for which he takes such pains to be thought wise and screws his actions in a forced disguise, leading a tedious life in misery under laborious mean hypocrisy. Um, so all of this comes out of fear. Um, Rochester says, and it's it's um, the paradoxes here um, are tremendous and deep. Uh, they're not um, they're not just for the sake of paradox. There's a pessimistic world view here, and when you read a poem like this, um, it's harder to be dismissive of Rochester. Um, Johnson and Walpole both have difficulty being dismissive of him. Again, one of the things that Johnson. Um, marvels at about Rochester is that when he's not drunk as a skunk, um, he is studying and reading. He's either completely out of his mind with drunkenness and with lust, or he's in the country reading intensely so that he's the most learned noble of his time. Um, And he spends no time saying, look at me, look how learned I am, Um, look how much work I do, look how hard I work on these things. Um, but he does. These are real issues for him. He's not just being wittily bitter. Um, the bitterness here is um, thoughtful. Um, and Rochester, it's hard to think of a Rochester as a thoughtful poet at first when you read, um, especially what you want to read. But when you read um, poems like The Imperfect Enjoyment, but even that poem is thoughtful. Or Fair Chloris in a Pigsty Lay is, in a very odd way, um, thoughtful. So um, you have all this description of fear. And then you get the last movement of the poem, sometimes called the recantation, um, after line 173, um, where he says, well, maybe there are people who are not like this. Um, And um, that gives him an opportunity to say what they're not like. And to describe once again what most people are like, maybe there're people who aren't more uh, more greedy at eighty than they were at twenty. and um, maybe there are um, priests and preachers who are not um, committing adultery in their heart with their own wives. Maybe that's all true. Maybe finally, um, at line two twelve, maybe we can find a meek, humble man of honest sense who preaching peace, does practice continence. That is, he not only says people should be peaceful, but he doesn't take advantage of any of the peace he gets other people to show. Whose pious life's a proof he does believe mysterious truths which no man can conceive. So it's very hard to even conceive of these truths of the moral law of God, of religion. Um, humans can't, they're mysteries, but maybe there are people who can believe in such things without needing to conceive them. If upon earth there dwell such godlike men, I'll here recant my paradox to them, adore those shrines of virtue, homage pay, and with the rabble world their laws obey. I'll, we'll all admire them and will obey the laws that such genuinely virtuous people might show. So that all sounds good, but then he still says, if such there be, if there is anyone like that, yet grant me this at least, man differs more from man than man from beast. That is, if there is such a person, he would be so different from everyone else that he would differ more from most of us than we do from the beast's. Um, and so that's a final turn saying, yes, you might occasionally find an exception to this rule, um, but that should be even more depressing, how rare such exceptions are, what it would take to be such an exception to the rule. Um, so I think, it, I think it's pretty powerful. Okay, so you read all the other stuff. The other poem that Johnson really likes, um, the poem I think he likes best, um, you all remember what that is, right? Yeah. No, you're not falling to the strap twice. Remember in the life of Rochester, Johnson singles out one poem for particular praise. Uh, yes, yeah. You didn't even only say yes, you even named the right poem. Upon Nothing, which is the next poem um, in the handout, um, and it's uh, which was on Latte. Um So we could look at that one, uh, we could look at the imperfect enjoyment. Um, maybe um, we should start with um, oh, I don't know. I mean we should, we should there are a lot there are a lot of good ones, but they really are um, of, of a variety. The, Upon nothing is an interesting poem because it's it's um, both metaphysically and politically interesting and um, it's very um, clever um, but also serious but why don't we look at the poem at the next poem the one called song um, which again is a little bit shows Rochester a little bit as we saw him in love and Life a song Johnson doesn't like his songs but I think Johnson's wrong about that um, and I think this is a good one. Um, so here is a song spoken by a man. There are a couple of songs spoken by, spoken by women, um, but this one is sung by a man. Um, Give me leave to rail at you. I ask nothing but my due. So let me um, express my anger at you. Why? Because I'm your. I'm imprisoned by you. Give me leave to rail at you. I ask nothing but my due. To call you false and then to say you shall not keep my heart a day. But alas, against my will. I must be your captive still. Ah, be kinder then, for I cannot change and would not die. So um, I'm in love with you, you're so beautiful. Um, I wish I weren't in love with you, um, but I am. I'm still your captive even though I wish I weren't. Um, Be kinder then, um, because I can't help it. I cannot change and would not die. But the crucial word there is kind. Um, And that's what the second verse of this poem is about, is what that kindness is. Kindness has resistless charms. All besides but weakly move. fiercest anger it disarms and clips the wings of flying love. Um, So Being kind um, does wonderful things, including clipping the wings of flying love. What would that line mean? It clips the wings of flying love, George? You don't go
1: chasing after somebody else.
0: Yeah, that kindness means that love um, stays where it is instead of flying away. Um, Some of you probably know the great statue in the Louvre of the Wingless Victory. Um, Do people know about this? Um, Anyone? Uh, Say No, it's actually wingless. The, so the Athenian, Victory, Nike, as you probably know, or Nike in Greek. Did you know Nike meant victory? Yeah, of course you did. So Nike is the Greek goddess of victory. And the iconography of Nike is that she always has wings because victory is never permanent. Um, that is, uh, the Red Sox may win one year, but they don't even get into the playoffs another year. Um, victory is always flitting away. But the Athenian iconography of victory is they had victory, um, statues of victory without wings. The idea is once the Athenians became victorious victory would stay with them forever. So there's a similar conceit here. That is that what kindness does is it clips the wings of flying love. Um, love doesn't fly away. Yeah? Um, is
1: that, I read that as um, an origin to Yes, yeah.
0: Um, cute. love flies because love has wings, like Cupid, or um, any of the uh, any um, um, Cupid-like figure. Um, and um, but if you're kind, love will stay. It clips the wings of flying love. Beauty does the heart invade. Kindness only can persuade. Now, that's the way I just read it was intentionally wrong, but the way you would probably read it the first time. Um, But in fact, the stresses are um, on different words, and you should read this as beauty does the heart invade. That is, beauty is military, it's aggressive. Um, It comes and conquers the heart, Um, and the heart is enemy territory that it subjugates. You see someone beautiful, and you wish that you could um, not be in love with them. Um, You say, oh man, look at that person um, just strutting all over the world because they're so good looking Um, and yet I can't stop thinking about them. Um, So there's, there's, um, uh, there's, there's pressure and force in beauty, not in kindness. Kindness only, that is only kindness, can persuade rather than invade. Um, If you're kind to me, then I won't wish that I didn't love you. Then I'll be happy that I loved you. It gilds, kindness gilds the lover's servile chain. So lovers are servile and chained to those that they love and makes the slave grow pleased and vain. That is, the slave to love becomes pleased and even vain um, that he's, loved back that he loves this person and that she loves him back Um, so that's one reason to look at that poem is uh, I guess let me ask you this do you think of Rochester as amazingly misogynist um, or do you think of Rochester as maybe less misogynist than he appears on first well blush wouldn't be the right word for him um, on your first on your, first, on your first blushing when you read him. Yeah?
1: I'd rather yeah. hang out with him than Hemingway. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> You'd rather hang out with him than Hemingway. Yes, okay, say more. By which you mean that Hemingway is more misogynist. Yes. Okay, good. Um, do you, does that mean that he's not misogynist, or just less so?
1: I think he wouldn't classify himself as one. Uh-huh. Um, I think that the way he views women in his mind is... A kind of kindness. He thinks he's giving them all the, the credit they are due. He doesn't see them as less. He just sees them as different.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, and what kind of credit are they due?
1: They're fantastic lovers.
0: <laughs> okay, they're fantastic lovers. Um, they're different. What's their attitude towards sex? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the striking things about Rochester is that um, he sort of um, not entirely, but more than most people, um, represents women as just as on the make and just as interested. In fact, um, in some of these poems, like The Imperfect Enjoyment, more on the make and more interested in sex than men are. Um, And it's not the, the standard, even the standard ribald poem of the day, um, you know, the kind of poem that Dunn was writing, if, if you know Dunn's sexual poems, um, like The Flea, um, 70 or 80 years earlier, um, those poems are always trying to convince women that sex is a good thing. Um, but they're rarely poems, um, they're, they're ribald, but they're rarely poems in which um, women are basically complaining. Um, that the men aren't, um, aren't getting how good sex is, which Rochester has several poems, which are women's complaints against men for not being sexual enough. Um, it's, let's look, this is not an example of that, but look at the next poem, Song, um, which is, again, one of those borderline poems. Um, the poem we just read, uh, the, the first song, Give Me Lead to Rail at You, um, that's just a ni- I think that's just a nice song, a nice poem. It's a praise of kindness. Um, but this poem is a bit more explicit. Um, and, but not entirely explicit. Possibly not, as, um, possibly not necessarily as explicit as it seems. Um, Love a woman? You're an ass. Tis a most insipid passion. To choose out for your happiness the silliest part of God's creation. So there we can say there's certainly misogyny. Um, it's, that's a ridiculous thing to do, to love a woman. Let the porter and the groom, things designed for dirty slaves, drudge in fair Aurelia's womb to get supplies for age and graves. Um, to get supply for, supplies for age and graves, what does that mean? Children. Um, yeah, to get, to get children who'll take care of them um, and who will eventually die themselves. Um, what else could it mean? So when you're reading 17th century poetry, there's like a standard set of things you should, it's, it's like learning to factor when you're, when you're um, <laughs> learning algebra. Um, there are like a standard bunch of things you should try. Um, one of them is children, one of them is sex, one of them is VD. <laughs> you should just, if you don't understand a line, see if any of those work. Um, to, so so um, let those people have sex with whoever they want um, and get um, STDs from it. Um, That would be supplies for age and graves. Um, That is, yeah, let them go and have sex with women and get gonorrhea and ruin the rest of their lives that way. Um, It means both. It's not one or the other. It's both. Um, Farewell, woman. I intend henceforth every night to sit with my lewd, well-natured friend, drinking to engender wit. So no more women, just drunkenness every night, and we're going to tell dirty stories to each other. My lewd, well-natured friend, drinking to engender wit, um, which he certainly did a lot, as you know. So then, give me health, wealth, mirth, and wine, and if busy love entrenches, that is, if love joins the gathering as well, insists on cutting in, literally, entrench means to cut in. So if, if love um, joins our little party, um, there's a sweet, soft page of mine does the trick worth 40 wenches. Um, paraphrase? What does page
1: mean?
0: Why do you ask? <laughs>
1: like a little apprentice boy. I don't know. Yes, it it
0: means young servant boy.
1: Okay.
0: Um, You know, young teenage boy who's um, sweet and soft and boy is he good in bed. Um, So love a woman? Uh Uh-uh, not when there are all these young men around Um, is what he's saying. But it also, what else could it mean? Yeah.
1: Poetry or some other, you know, it's masturbating to (laughs) Okay, masturbating
0: to reading, yes, or just writing poetry, that is, yes, (laughs) so having sex with boys, writing poetry, um, really it's again like Desaad, one or the other, they're uh, essentially equivalent to each other, Um, they're both really great, Um, and uh, you know, if I'm getting drunk with a friend of mine and uh, we start talking about love, um, I might go and write a poem, which will be so much better than loving a woman. Or I might go and have sex with my page boy, which is so much better than loving a woman. Um, and we're, it's just not clear which. In the um, poem, um, oh, where's my copy of it? Um, the Imperfect Enjoyment, which I may have imperfectly brought. I thought I brought it with me. I feel like you now I have to have someone else read it. Does anyone have a copy of it with them? You wanted to do it. You don't have a copy? I have it
1: online.
0: Okay, you want to read it?
1: Um, or not? not really no, you should. Should I? Yes. Okay.
0: Um, I mean, you don't have to, but you should. It's just reading. It's just reading. <laughs>
1: um, naked she lay clasped in my longing arms. I filled with love and she all over charms. Both equally inspired with eager fire, melting through kindness, flaming in desire. With arms, legs, lips close clinging to embrace, she clips me to her breast and sucks me to her face. Her nimble tongue, love's lesser lightning, played within my mouth and to my thoughts conveyed. Swift orders that I should prepare to throw the all-resolving thunderbolt below. My fluttering soul, sprung with a painted kiss, hangs hovering o'er her balmy, brings the bliss.
0: So just, if I, I have found it if you don't want to keep reading.
1: Okay.
0: It's fine if you want to.
1: You could keep reading
0: OK, so well, let's do a little interpreting. It's kind of important. Um, her nimble tongue loves lesser lightning. Um, so the question is, what would love's greater lightning be? Well, we're about to find out. Played within my mouth, and to my thoughts conveyed swift orders that I should prepare to throw the old dissolving thunderbolt below. So we know what that is, right? Um, <laughs> So the lesser lightning is her tongue, the all-dissolving thunderbolt below. um, Sort of does what the tongue does, but it's a different part of the body um, that belongs to a different partner in what's going on here. Um, My fluttering soul sprung with a painted kiss. That is, she's kissed me and my soul is sprung by it. Hangs hovering o'er her balmy brinks of bliss. Um, And so the bird-like soul is now also a bird-like part of the body. Um, and the balmy brinks of bliss, um, well, you know what they are. Um, but whilst her busy hand would guide that part, which should convey my soul up to her heart. Um, so we know what part that is. So while she's reaching down to help him. Um, whilst her busy hand would guide that part, which should convey my soul up to her heart. In liquid rafters, I dissolve all ore. Um, so that could be from any number of poems about love and life, but the next line, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Melt into sperm and spend at every pore. So this is uh, premature ejaculation is the technical term for what this poem is describing. Um, before he enters her, he um, melts into sperm and spends at every pore. Um, A touch from any part of her had dunt. Um, all she had to do was touch him. It didn't have to be her hand. It could have been any part. Her hand, her foot, her very looks a cunt. Um, so just looking at her makes him come. Um, smiling, she chides in a kind murmuring noise and from her body wipes the clammy joys. Um, when, with a, th- see, isn't it terrible to read all this old poetry? <laughs> Before, as Philip Larkin says, you know, Philip Larkin has his poem, um Sexual intercourse began in nineteen hundred and sixty three um, which is about the sexual revolution. I think Rochester shows that that's actually not true. Um, <laughs> sexual intercourse began before that. Um, when with a thousand um, kisses wandering or my panting bosom, is there then no more? she cries <laughs> so that's it. Um, you know that uh, you know business time Um oh my God. <laughs> Flight of the Conchords, um, and I know what you're trying to say, baby. That's it. She says, "Is that it?" <laughs> I know what you're trying. Do you know that? You should look it up on YouTube. I know you. Oh, you believe I know Rochester, but not that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, so she says, "Is that it? Is there then no more?" She cries. All this to love and rapture's due. That is, okay, so you did this because you were full of love and rapture. That's great. Um, Must we not pay a debt to pleasure too? Um, That's a really great line. That is that that, um, love and rapture, they're all fine, but what about some pleasure here? Um, We owe pleasure as well. This is due to, that is owed to love and rapture, Um, the fact that you were so easy. Um, but now you also have to pay a debt to pleasure. You have to take more pleasure in it, which means that it's got to linger more, um, but you really owe me more than you've given me, and you also really owe yourself more. It's kind of a little fast, don't you think, even for your purposes. Um, But I, the most forlorn, lost man alive... To show my wished obedience, vainly strive. I sigh, alas, and kiss, but cannot swive. And as you you know from the footnotes, swive is a synonym for fuck, um, and just as bad a word, even if it's five letters. Eager desires confound my first intent. Succeeding shame does more success prevent. So he's having what's called performance anxiety. Um, he's, He's come too early and now he can't get it up at all. Um, and rage at last confirms me impotent. E'en her fair hand, which might bid heat return to frozen age and make cold hermits burn, apply to my dead cinder. Warms no more than fire to ashes could past flames restore. Trembling, confused, despairing, limber, dry. A wishing weak, unmoving lump I lie This dart of love whose piercing point oft tried with virgin blood, 10,000 maids have died. So my dart of love has been died by the blood of 10,000 virgins. Um, Again, he's not talking about violence, but about (laughs) sex. Um, uh, Which nature still directed with such art that it through every cunt reached every heart. It's so beautiful. Stiffly resolved,
1: <laughs>
0: twould carelessly invade woman or man, nor aught its fury stayed. So basically, he he says, um, I was stiffly resolved to have sex with anything or anyone, woman or man, um, and I did. Nor aught its fury stayed, where'er it pierced, wherever I went, um, a cunt it found or made. <laughs> um, now. This, this um, dart languid lies in this unhappy hour, shrunk up and sapless like a withered flower. <laughs> and then he has this amazing address to his own mem- member. Thou treacherous base deserter of my flame, false to my passion, fatal to my fame, I'll say so. <laughs> Through what mistaken magic dost thou prove so true to lewdness, so untrue to love? So how is it that when I'm actually in love with a woman, um, I'm, I'm unable um, to get it up more than once? Um, if I'm having sex with women that I'm not in love with, um, then I last a long time. But here I love her, and I can't do it. What oyster, cinder, beggar, common whore didst thou e'er fail in all thy life before? You are always good with others he says to his member, when vice, disease, and scandal lead the way, with what officious haste dost thou obey, like a rude, roaring Hector in the streets who scuffles, cuffs, and jostles all he meets. But if his king or country claim his aid, the rake-hell villain shrinks and hides his head. Um, remember, he's not circumcised, just so you know what the image is there. Um, E'en so, thy brutal valor. <laughs> This is scholarship. (laughs) There's actually, in the TLS about a month ago, there's a long, very scholarly article about a new edition of Rochester's poems, um, which complains that not all the manuscripts have been collated and it's not clear which um, um, uh, embarrassing words he's using where um, in some of the poems in this new edition. the rake-held villain shrinks and hides his head, E'en so thy brutal valor is displayed, breaks every stew, does each small whore invade, but when great love the onset does command, base recreant to thy prince, thou darest not stand. That is, stand um, in front of, stand when, when you're being fired upon as a soldier, but also stand in the obvious sexual way. Worst part of me, and henceforth hated most, Through all the town, a common fucking post, on whom each whore relieves her tingling cunt as hogs do rub themselves on gates and grunt. Mayest thou to ravenous ravenous chankers be a prey, or in consuming weepings, waste away. So those are two bad ways to die, but also um, may you get VD, that is may you get all the sores of gonorrhea, or may you just um, be constantly dribbling and consuming weepings, waste away. May strangury and stone thy days attend. Um, that is a kidney stone um, uh, or some other blockage that'll that'll cause you great pain. Mayst thou ne'er piss, who <laughs> did refuse to spend when all my joys did on false thee depend. Um, so this is all punishment of his own member, which is an odd idea. And then a last um, wish. And may 10,000 abler pricks agree to do the wrong Karina right for thee. So let her get 10,000 other men to do for her what I failed to do for her. Um, I wronged her. Yeah. Is
1: that like a reference to Ovid? Like
0: Karina? Yeah, well, it's a reference to, cl- to standard classical names for the beloved. Um, so Karina, Chloris, Phyllis, those are all standard names. And um, yeah, it goes back to Ovid, but not only to Ovid. But yeah, that's a that's um, part of his learnedness, and part of um, <laughs> the joke here is to use um, these classical things. Ovid, by the way, is as dirty as this. Um, are you have you read the Amores? Or yeah, so um, Rochester isn't doing anything that Ovid um, hadn't already done, but Ovid was very shocking for that reason. Um, yeah, Liz. Um. What did you say more yeah it sounds like yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that I think that joke is on his mind okay. uh for for the obvious reasons that what the poem's about, yeah. which is that she has a dream that she's lost her virginity, but thank goodness it's not true, um <laughs> it's only her own hand um the the word is um, Frighted she wakes, if you look at the end of that, Frighted she wakes and waking Frigg's, and you'll recall from our scholarly examinations earlier that Frigg means to um, rub yourself. So, um, Frighted she wakes and waking Frigg's, nature thus kindly eased in dreams raised by her murmuring pigs and her own thumb between her legs, she's innocent and pleased. So she's innocent. She hasn't lost her virginity as she dreamt that she had. Um, That's all really good. Um, She's only using her own thumb on herself. Um, So yeah, Cloris is doing that. So nice, good call. Mm -hmm. Um, Look at um, the poem, um, The Platonic Lady. Um, I think that's also a good one. This is spoken by, and, and obviously less dirty, this is spoken by a woman. Um, and um, yeah, let's just read it. I could love thee till I die. Platonic here means like platonic love um, in, the, in the colloquial sense of platonic love, love that doesn't um, end in sex, um, love that's not sexual. Now, this is not love that's not sexual, but it is love um, that nevertheless isn't entirely sexual. I could love thee till I die, she says, wouldst thou love me modestly and ne'er press whilst I live for more than willingly I would give, which should sufficient be to prove I'd understand the art of love. Um, Paraphrase that someone? Just that first stanza? Yes?
1: Um, so, she does love who she is talking to, and Uh because she... The
0: young man she's addressing.
1: Yes, and, um, so, because she's asking him not to, um, coerce her into anything sexual, that means that she must understand what love truly is more Mm -hmm. (laughs) than... Um,
0: yeah, I think, I think you're making her more of a prude than she is. Uh Oh. Um... Yeah, yeah.
1: I think she was saying like I won't pressure you if you won't pressure me because we both want
0: it. Okay, yeah. Um, Tal. I think
1: she just said you don't need to pressure me because I want it.
0: (laughs) Okay, um, George.
1: Don't do anything more to me than what I'm willing to do.
0: Yeah, Um, that is. I could love you till I die if you don't ask um, for more than I want to do, but I want to do enough that it'll convince you that I love you. Um, that is, um, don't don't press me whilst I live, for more than willingly I would give. Which what I would give, which should sufficient be to prove I'd understand the art of love. So I'm going to give you enough for to prove to you that I sure do understand the art of love. Don't ask for more than what I'm what um, than that. Um, I'm going to give you plenty. But don't ask for more than I'm willing to give to you. While I live, um, there's probably, I'm sure you've, if you're English majors, you've heard this a dozen times by now. Um, but there's a standard pun, especially in 17th century English, on um, the word die. Um, in Dunn, it's we are tapers to and at our own cost die. In Yeats, it's those dying generations of their song. Yeats in the 20th century, those dying generations of their song. And the pun is? Um, well, it's it's to have orgasm. It can be oh, yeah. women die, too, in the same sense. Um, in French, it's um, called la petite mort. Um, that is, um, orgasm is, is still in contemporary French, um, idiomatic French, is the little death. Um, so while I'm alive, so the dirtiest reading that you can give of this poem, and I think it's there, but, um, but we shouldn't put too much on it. Um, it's it's an under uh, meaning in the poem is don't you come first that is don't while I'm still while I still haven't come um, don't you um, finish up Um, so near press whilst I live that is before I come for more than willingly I would give when I am finally orgasming you can too. Um, there's a hint of that in the poem. That's the dirtiest reading. Probably not the central reading of the poem, but the dirtiest reading of the poem. And, and it's consistent with the central reading of the poem. Were you going to say something? Oh, um,
1: yeah. I kind of read the third, fourth line a little differently because uh-huh. it says for more than a I would give. And I guess I read it as I will give
0: you don't have to press because, to, because I I'm be more than willing to. More than willing yeah. to give rather than I
1: will give. I will.
0: Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, so the, the possibilities are don't press for more than I would willingly give, or don't press for I, for I, would, I would more than willingly give.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, I suspect, but, I'm, but you may be right, I suspect more than willing is not a 17th century usage. That is, I'm more than willing to help you. Um, you know, I, I, really, I really need um, a ride to the bottom of the hill. I'm more than willing to do that for you. In fact, I'll drive you to Cambridge. Um, I think that's not a 17th century usage, but it might be. And either way, it works. Um, whether it, I mean, if it is a 17th century usage, it's, it's, that's great. Um, that also goes with the idea of um, don't press me while I'm not dying yet, while, while I live. Um, yeah, so I think it, if the ambiguity is there, I'm not certain it is, but if it is, it works just fine. Um, okay, second stanza, she goes on. I hate the thing is called enjoyment. Um, so what thing would be called enjoyment? Are any of you taking French? So what's the French word? Not le petit mot, but the French word for orgasm.
1: I don't think we learned that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe.
0: Um, if you read Lacan, <laughs> you'll have to read it all the time. Jouissance. Um, that's if you look up jouissance, it means enjoyment, but it also means um, the moment of orgasm. It's a particular kind of enjoyment, um, and that's what he means here. So when she says, "I hate the thing," is called enjoyment. You know, if you if you know the sort of. Um, uh, Uh, Turn a phrase which would say, you know, I enjoyed the favors of Doris. Um, Again, enjoy there has the sense of of sexual consummation. Um, It's not as not as clear a pun in modern, or not as clear a connection in modern English, um, but it's still there. And in French, it is a very clear connection. Um, So I hate the thing is called enjoyment means I hate the moment of climax. Um, I hate that, and that's not. This isn't reading deeply to say that. That's that's the literal meaning of the line. I hate the thing is called enjoyment. Besides, it is a dull employment. It cuts off all that's life and fire from that which may be termed desire. So, um, the problem with orgasm is that everything that's um, great about having sex is put an end to. Um, It cuts off all that's life and fire, all the passion. Cuts it off from that which may be termed desire. Um, That is, how would you paraphrase that? Why does it cut off life and fire from desire? Because
1: you're done.
0: Okay, because you're (laughs) done and What's the difference, though, between desire and life and fire? It's, uh, partly I'm pushing this because Rochester, I keep wanting to, to insist that despite his, you know, sort of shocking um, language and shocking imagery, Rochester is, is actually a pretty deep and pretty subtle um, analyst of, of the human psyche. Yeah, tell Uh huh. And
1: desire.
0: Yeah. Okay. So desire is the goal. In other words, when you when you if if it's my desire to have sex with you, well, I mean, now I'm being clean about it. Um, If it's my desire um, to do something, then it's the actual doing of it that we um, call desire. Um, And what she's saying is, no, it's not what you desire. Which is, to have, um, which is to have orgasm with me. It's the experience before that where the life and fire is, where the passion is. So really, this is a poem about the greatness of foreplay. Um, not the greatness of sex, but the greatness of foreplay. Um, and the problem with foreplay is she's saying is that it leads to sex. Um, it leads to consummation, which is what we desire, But the consummation is also the end. That's also what the imperfect enjoyment, which, by the way, now you know what that title means, right? The imperfect enjoyment um, almost literally means premature ejaculation. Imperfect means not coming to an end. That's what perfect means. When something is perfected, it's brought to completion. So an imperfect enjoyment is a premature enjoyment, a premature ejaculation um that's that's not what someone seeing that title would think in the 17th century but after reading the poem they would get that title without another thought that that's literally what it meant um premature ejaculation so here um what she's saying is the enjoyment part that's what you did in the imperfect enjoyment whenever you do it it puts an end to things i don't like that part, it's dull, it ends things, it's not the point. The point is life and fire, and not what could be termed desire, that is the thing that you think you want. Just like the bee whose sting is gone converts the owner to a drone. So a bee that, that um, loses its sting um, now only becomes a drone. Um, probably um, entomologically that's not correct, um, but what is the sting being compared to symbolically? An erection, An erection yes. And after that, it's just a drone. Um, the bee just becomes a drone, unable to do anything except drone around. So now she says the kind of thing she loves. I love a youth. That is, I love it when a youth will give me, leave his body in my arms to wreathe to press him gently and to kiss, to sigh and look with eyes that wish for what if I could once obtain, I would neglect with flat disdain. So I really like smooching and heavy petting and looking at him um, with eyes um, that say what they want But which, if I got what I wanted, it would just be flat disdain. I would be not interested in anymore. And again, it's partly because he would lie flat, but also partly because it's when it's over, it's over. Um, And that's not the pleasure. The pleasure is before it happens. Um, The pleasure is lingering out the experience of for. So that kind of youth, I'd give him liberty to toy and play with me and count it joy. Um, So not enjoyment, but the joy, again, a foreplay. Our freedom should be full, complete, and nothing wanting but the feet. Um, So that's all we want, not the actual act of copulation, but everything that leads up to it. That's the great part. Let's practice then, and we shall prove These are the only sweets of love. So again, it's a a pretty good, I think, um, praise of foreplay um, and a pretty good psychological analysis of the experience of sexual desire um, and how that experience can be self-limiting and how to try and avoid the self-limiting aspects of sexual desire. And again, notice that this is put in the voice of a woman, that is, that, that this is um, a real acknowledgement of women as real people too, having real desires and having real um, thoughts and ideas and experiences of sexuality. Um, so I think that's, that's a, a place where you can see Rochester simultaneously being pretty dirty, not as dirty as as he can be, um, but pretty dirty, um, and yet also thinking pretty um, generously, openly, um, um, non-selfishly about human experience and not only um, his own desires. Um, I guess let's look at the next one, The Mistress, A Song. Um, I love the idea that this is a song, Um, all of these songs that he's written. Um, An age in her embrace's past would seem a winter's day where life and light with envious haste are torn and snatched away. So paraphrase that. Yeah, Liz?
1: Um, being with her for just one bit or for an age for a really long time goes by as
0: fast as a winter's day, which isn't very long at all. Right, exactly. So it's a winter's day not because it's cold and miserable, but because it's so short that even if I spent an age in her embraces. And that really picks up on the idea from the, from, um, the poem we just looked at. That is that it's not consummation, but it's um, what, what precedes that. So um, she says, um, I love a youth who'll give me leave his body in my arms to wreath. Um, I love a youth whom I can embrace for a really long time. Um, so, and it, so now he's giving the male point of view, an age in her embrace's past would seem as short as a winter's day, where life and light, that is the things that you get in very short supply on a winter's day, life and light with envious haste are torn and snatched away. The little life and light that a winter's day gives you are snatched away by darkness. Um, Envious is an interesting word there, and it's what the poem will pick up on. But, oh, how slowly minutes roll when absent from her eyes that feed my love, which is my soul, it languishes and dies. So time is endless when she's not around. Um, I don't see her eyes, which feed my love and feed my soul, and so um, I lang- it languishes, my love and my soul languish and die. For then no more a soul But shade, it mournfully does move. I've become a shadow of myself when she's far away. For then no more a soul, but shade, it mournfully does move and haunts my breast by absence made the living tomb of love. So just just follow the conceit out there. How does his breast become the tomb of love? Do people know what I mean by the word conceit when I say follow out the conceit there? Okay, so conceit is um how, some of you I know that some of you have read Dunn. How many people have read any of his metaphysical poems? Um, like The Validation Forbidding Mourning, which we talked about, um, or The Flea, or okay. Um so what a metaphysical so there's what a conceit is, is um a extended figurative um uh Um, use of language or figurative use of communication so um, allegory is famously called by Edmund Spencer a dark conceit conceit literally means it doesn't mean oh I'm so conceited Um, conceit literally means conception as in I've conceived of this really interesting idea I have an idea and look it's really working out and now I'm gonna write a poem based on this, this thing that I've conceived, this conception that I have. So allegory, Spencer calls a dark conceit, a very famous phrase, allegory or dark conceit, because the idea is that you tell a story in which every um, element or item in the story actually stands for something else. Do people know what allegories are? If I say allegory, is that a word? That's familiar to you, um, Edward Gorey. For obvious reasons, including his own name, loved to parody Alla Goreys. Um, so there's a famous one of the great Ed- Edward Gorey. Do people know who he is? And Figory, yeah. So one of his famous illustrations is um, you see a young w- woman on a bicycle on a tightrope um, stretched over a canyon, carrying an umbrella. Is this? Can you picture this? Is this at all familiar? And the explanation of this is um, prudence on the tightrope of modesty, crossing the abyss of, um, of of scandal, holding the umbrella of probity, um, and so you have this completely absurd picture with an explanation of all its elements. Um, And that kind of picture is called an allegory. That is, everything in the picture stands for something of great symbolic purport or weight. Um, An allegorical story, that's an allegorical picture. In paintings, typical allegorical pictures will have skulls um, and mirrors in them. Um, If you see a a 17th century painting with a skull and a mirror in it, um, what does the mirror stand for? Do people know? and an hourglass also. So let's say you see a skull, a mirror, and an hourglass, on, and it's called the lady's dressing table. Um, what would you know from those things?
1: Um, what? I, I just know that some like Dutch paintings have you know, real significance. Yeah. Like a, like a letter is something or something. And the schools of thread are very important. Like they have specific meanings. But I'm not sure about the
0: okay, so OK. So the mirror stands for vanity. Um, that 's a standard um, allegorical um, representation. Um, the mirror stands for vanity. The hourglass would stand for time. You guys are good, um, and the skull would stand for the certainty of death so she it 's wrong to spend your time, which is always hurrying to its close, looking in the mirror of vanity when the skull beneath the skin is always warning you of your, the oncoming moment where you will have to meet your maker. Um, so that's what an allegorical painting is like, where um, something at first glance might look like, oh, this weirdo collects a lot of strange things. Um, on her vanity table, or on her, on her dressing table, she puts a skull. Who knows why? Uh, maybe she's, an, maybe she's a, <laughs> um, an anthropologist. I don't know. Uh, That would be the wrong reading, (laughs) and the right reading would be she's not paying enough attention to this. Um, An allegory in literature is a story told with elements like that, Um, so that um, a person might um, be heading towards a house that's built on sand and trip over a skull but kick it out of the way um, as he... um, puts on a gorgeous cloak um, that's made of, um, I don't know, something that rots quickly. Um, And then you would know that he's doing the wrong thing, that he shouldn't have kicked the skull out of the way, that the house built on sand is going to collapse on him, and this gorgeous clothing is going to turn out to be worthless. Um, Parables in the Bible are frequently allegorical. In that sense, or the most famous allegory in English is is Pilgrim's Progress, which is extremely easy to read in most ways. So that, for example, the main character is named Christian, and he's assigned to go to a city called the Heavenly City. And on his way, Christian meets various people who give him advice, most of it bad. Um, For example, one person he meets is a man named Mr. Worldly Wise. And Mr. Worldly Wise says that he should just have a lot of fun on Earth, but Christian insists on keeping going. But he gets lonely, and then he comes to a swamp called the Slough of Despond. This is a very famous place. Despond, that is despondency. So he gets caught in this quicksand of despondency, um, and he really needs help. But fortunately, Faith, um, two characters named Faith and Good Works come and pull him out. Of the slough of despond, um, and then he travels through a marketplace where they're having their uh, where they're having the equivalent of a farmer's market, and it's the name of the market is Vanity Fair, um, which I'm sure you've heard of, but this comes originally out of um, out of Pilgrim's Progress, and in Vanity Fair, all sorts of things like guess what, mirrors are being sold, um, and they all suggest that Christian give the money. Um, that he's trying to save the money of his, of his um, salvation for some of these trinkets, but luckily he says no. Um, so all of these are allegories. These are obvious allegories, but they're allegorical. And an allegorical conceit, what Spencer is talking about when he talks about a dark conceit, an allegorical conceit is an extended comparison which works on two levels, it works as a pure narrative description, but it also stands for something else. In poetry, conceits tend to be extended metaphors. So that, for example, um, in a Valediction, Forbidding Mourning, the idea of the compass um, representing the love between Donne and his wife, because they're always connected, and even if one is tr- one is um, moving. Um, he's always moving around the other, and, sh- and as he puts it, thy firmness makes my circle just and makes me and makes me end where I begun because he, because it draws a complete circle. So he ends where he begins. Um, in uh, The Flea, it's um, done as saying, look at this flea. It bit you, now it bites me. Our bloods are therefore mingled in its belly, so we should have sex because it's our marriage bed, this flea is. Um, and um, it's um, So then she crushes the flea and he says, I can't believe what you've done, it's like killing Christ. You have purpled your nail in blood of innocence um, and you've killed three people, three beings killing one, the flea and me and you, um, because our bloods were mingled eucharistically in its belly, um, she doesn't buy that either. Um, but the point is that you get a completely unlikely... Conceits can sometimes be bizarre. You get a completely unlikely comparison, and then you draw out um, parallels. It's not the initial parallel, but it's there's a whole bunch of parallels that you can draw out. Um, so here, the conceit, it's not nearly as elaborate, but here, the conceit is... Um, how his breast becomes the living tomb of love. So the question is, how does that happen? What makes his breast the living tomb of love? Tell.
1: Isn't there like some idea that like love quite literally like emanates from the eyes? Uh huh. Um, so I guess he's saying that with when I'm not in her presence and she's not looking at me, my soul dies without her, and then turns into a ghost and haunts my heart.
0: Right, and so it, which becomes a tomb. A living tomb, because I'm still a living being, but my soul has become a shade, which means what? What's a shade? A ghost. Um, It's a a somewhat outmoded now word for ghost. Um, At the end of A Midsummer Night's Dream, if we shadows have offended, um, shadow and shade are similar, as meaning not the real thing, but a ghost. Um, Also a fairy at the end of A Midsummer Night's Dream, and also an actor. Um, but yeah, the shade, um, when, when uh, you speak to the shades, which you do frequently in ancient epic, um, those are ghosts. Um, Shelley will talk about shades of all things that are. That is the ghosts of all things that exist. So, um, so I am no more a soul, or it languishes and dies, and then no more a soul but shade. It mournfully does move, and haunts my breast by absence made the living tomb of love and then he addresses um, us readers you wiser men and this is actually a, a nice little rye note of humor you wiser men despise me not whose lovesick fancy raves on shades of souls and heaven knows what short ages live in graves um, so um, he says, you may think this poem is excessive, but that's how much I love her. Um, so don't, don't despise me for the language that I've used in the previous stanza. Um, shades of souls and heaven knows what. Um, short ages live in graves. Um, that is even a little bit of time um, is dead forever or goes to the grave. Whene'er those wounding eyes so full of sweetness you did see. Had you not been profoundly dull, you had gone mad like me. So that's a that's not quite a modern um, modern English grammatically, but when air means if you had ever. Um, so not whenever this happens, but if it had ever been the case that you had seen those wounding eyes, you would have gone mad like me. Um, so you may scorn me, but you've never seen her had you done so, you had been mad like me. Nor censure us, you who perceive my best beloved and me, sigh and lament, complain and grieve. You think we disagree. So now the poem has has surprisingly become realistic. That is, he says, those of you who've never seen her, don't think I'm overstating the case. Those of you who've seen us together, and seen us fighting and bickering and complaining and seeming just like any other whiny couple, um, don't think that you know that we don't really love each other. Um, you think we disagree. You think we're not made for each other. But no. And then this is where the poem gets really good, I think, and surprisingly so, um, and completely um, uh Disconfirms, um, refutes Johnson's idea that these songs are, are fairly standard. Alas, tis sacred jealousy, he says. That's what's going on, is sacred jealousy. Alas, tis sacred jealousy. What makes jealousy sacred? No one else calls jealousy sacred, everyone else is against jealousy. The green eyed monster that mocks the meat it feeds on. Who said that? Yeah? Good. Shakespeare, that's right. In the play called Oth. All right, hello to you too. Yes, Shakespeare and Othello. It's actually Iago, he's a bad guy. But why is Rochester calling jealousy sacred?
1: Yeah. love with each other and are, kind of, are
0: jealous when the other is with man or another woman yeah yeah without jealousy you don't know that it's love um love w- love can be just a fan you can have a fantasy that everything's going fine but it's jealousy that goes deepest in human relations and um, that's a very sharp, not a, maybe not a very pleasant, but, a very, but it could be read as pleasant. It could be read as um, don't think jealousy is a bad thing. The fact that human beings are jealous all the time, that shows they care. Um, you could read it that way. But at any rate, it's a sharp thing to say, a sharp and unidealizing way to talk about love, that the highest sign of love is jealousy. Um, Proust is going to say the same thing at the beginning of the 20th century Um, Proust is going to make jealousy the um, central topic of In Search of Lost Time but it's quite a striking thing for Rochester to say here alas his sacred jealousy and then he explains love raised to an extreme jealousy is love raised to an extreme if we're angry at each other, that's a good thing because it shows that it's love raised to an extreme. The only proof twixt her and me we love and do not dream. That is the only proof that that we're treating each other as real people who have their own desires, that it's not that we're dreaming of what the other one is. It's not just fantasy, even mutual fantasy, which is what love could easily be. Um, I think you're who I want you to be, and you think I'm who you want me to be. And we're lost in uh, folie a deux. We're both um, wrong about each other, but that's just fine because each um, imagines the other to be what he or she wants. Um, But it may not be real. Um, It could just be projection. It could just be fantasy. It could just be wish fulfillment. Everyone's had that experience of infatuation where when you get to know the person, it's really hard to remember how you could possibly have been infatuated with them. And if you're lucky, you didn't get involved with them when that happens. Um, But if you're not lucky, you did. Um, But for him, he's saying, you know, this is the only thing that makes it love rather than infatuation, is if the jealousy is there. The only proof twixt her and me, we love and do not dream. Fantastic fancies Fondly move, and in frail joys believe. So fantastic fancies would be pure wish fulfillment. Fondly there means crazily. It doesn't mean I'm very fond of you. It means fondly in a... I mean, it it has a little bit of I'm fond of you, but it's more in the 17th century, fond means senile or foolish or crazy. Um, So to be fond, King Lear says... I am a very foolish, fond old man. And by fond there, he doesn't mean, yeah, I, I really kind of like you. Um, what it means is I'm not in my right mind. So fantastic fancies fondly move. That is, move without really knowing the truth. Move, um, out, move in, in some kind of illusion. Um, wish fulfillment is full of illusion. Fantastic fancies fondly move and in frail joys believe believe that this other person is who they want him or her to be taking false pleasure for true love but pain can ne'er deceive so false pleasure oh i look at you i'm so in love i'm so in love i'm so in love all of that is frail and may not be true but pain is true pain that is the pain of jealousy um, that's not a false belief in love. If you're jealous of someone, if you're really jealous, if it's causing you real pain, it's because you know them and love them. Um, so this is a very odd praise of jealousy. Kind, and remember we saw the word kind in um, the song that we, the, that we looked at a little while ago, the song that begins... Um, Give me leave to rail at you, kindness has resistless charms. Kind, jealous doubts, tormenting fears, and anxious cares, when past that is, when we make it up or when we get over our jealousy prove our heart's treasure fixed and dear and make us blessed at last. So, I actually think, you know, if you didn't it's very easy to think of Rochester as either simply obscene or either simply misanthropic. Um, but that's way too quick. Um, he's really has an amazing range. And there is, when he's not drunk, he's extremely thoughtful. Um, and goes really, psychologically, he's pretty piercing. Um, and um, very impressive in that way. Oddly enough, if you know who he is, um, it, will strike you as both odd and right that Graham Greene was extremely fond of Rochester. Um, Graham Greene who wrote Brighton Rock and The Third Man, he's a 20th century novelist. Um, pretty, pretty um, amazing but, it was, but surprising to think of him as a Rochesterian. Um, but yeah, give, give the dude some credit. Okay, Swift for Friday.